evening, good evening, good evening. Welcome to Man in the Mirror with Kai and Michelle in the middle of the Corona-19 pandemic. This is Man in the Mirror. This evening is a special for Michelle and I because we have the honor to interview a new special friend and a new author. Mr. Don Wood. But guess what? I better back up before I get in trouble. Welcome back to the show, Nichelle, and my mic is working. Welcome back to the show, Nichelle. Or maybe her mic is not working. Nichelle, are you there? Okay. I will keep going and she'll pop in sooner or later. All right, all right, all right. We will keep going. I said I just sent her a message, um, but she will be joining us shortly. Okay. Well, as I said, we have a special friend. That is Mr. Don Wood himself author of a new best-selling book entitled The Good Work. I'll say that again, the best-selling book entitled The Good Work. But before we get started, um, if you have any questions or comments, please press the number one on your phone and you'll be put into our queue. Um, Michelle, have you joined us yet? I was already I'm sorry, go ahead and say that again. Why are you playing with my meat button, Kai? Uh, Look, I was just trying to figure out where you at. But anyway, welcome back to the show. I was here, but it was, yeah, I was here, but it was still showing me muted when I looked at the studio. But anyway, uh, hello. (laughs) So glad to be back and uh, so excited for today's show. And I'll let you go ahead and launch into your whole introduction. But I just wanted to make sure you knew I was here. Oh, well, we did the whole introduction. Sorry. But you can op- open us up in prayer. Okay. Sure. Lord God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for being here today, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, for our guest today, Dawn Wood, Lord. We just ask that you bless today's show, Lord. Bless not only us as we deliver whatever, thus saith the Lord, but also bless our listeners, Lord God. Lord God, allow us to speak something into their hearts, Lord God. We just ask that you bless and keep us, Lord God. We thank you for your blessings and for your mercy and for today's show, Lord. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. And welcome, finally, Mr. Wood, Dr. Pastor. Whoever he's going to be, this man is. This man has talent of all over the world, plus an author. So I am so excited to finally get a chance to meet him up close, uh, talking about his book. This man is phenomenal, and I'm going to give you a little information, just a little, because he. I mean, this book is something. I, I don't know what to say, but this book is something. Author Don Wood is a retired educator living in Raleigh, North Carolina. His higher educational educational experience includes teaching business communication, publication design, journalism, and leadership at Oakwood University, Indiana University, Howard University, Virginia Tech, and Winston-Salem State University. Didn't I tell you this man was a doctor? Since 1978, he served as a local elder in the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Maryland, Alabama, Indiana, Virginia, North Carolina. He's a man. The father of two adult children, Donald Jr. and Summer, and one grandson, Jaden. Dr. Lynette Wood, and he had been married for 21 plus, wow, adventure-filled years. In Don's new book, The Good Work, he shares the roadmap to a life with meaning and hope. You'll see how the Lord patiently worked with them to break the chains of his personal bondage, 
the secrets of the true hope and freedom were hiding in plain sight. And that is so true. And Don, again, welcome to the show. And we're just going to get right into it because you're our first author okay. that we've had on for a long time. And basically, okay. um, before we, I, I remind you that our halfway mark is going to be about 8.30. We'll you know, do a little couple announcements and come back after that. But um, okay. tell us about your book and what made you write the book. And then I'm just going to give you some lead questions. I'm going to do it different this time. Some lead questions. And then okay. I'm going to you know, let you answer them. Because I've been right. writing and I highlight. I, know I love your book, so I'm sorry if i got to write, highlight, and put some red markers hey. in it. But, hey. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, you know, as far as, uh, first of all, thank you so much for the opportunity to, uh, to share and to be on your program. And uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed uh, getting to know uh, you and Michelle a bit over over the last several weeks or so, and uh, and it's it's a joy to uh, to to be with you. And um, as far as writing the book concerned, you know, uh, the Lord had given me some victories, and I guess you know when when you really come to the point where you begin to see what God is trying to do in your life, you want to tell the story. And um, I had always felt like I wanted to, and somehow, sometimes God plants something in your mind to do something, and uh, you're not exactly sure how you're going to do it or if it's even possible. But uh, over time, uh, and many of that, those things are kind of spelled out in the book, but over time, God began to reveal to me how and when to do this. So a, a couple of years ago, I had the idea of, of doing the, the book, but it was, it was just an idea, and I started, and then I began to realize that I, I kind of felt like I had written my way down a, a one-way street into an alley, and, and I was, as I was, uh, I was staring at a brick wall at the end of this alley, and I'm going, this is not going anywhere. And I stopped. Then maybe about a year or so ago, I, I started again. I thought, okay, I'll, I'll try this this time. And I started trying to write like an autobiography. In other words, I was trying to start and try to put together some kind of creative way of uh, – of presenting my life from, from birth. And then I began to think, uh, even I'm falling asleep on this. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I don't really have that kind of life. In other words, I, I, I don't have some kind of life of great adventure and tremendous danger and all this other kind of thing that, that, that would make people be riveted trying to find out what happened next to our hero, Don. So, um, and I and I and I I I I was really kind of dumbfounded at that point because somehow in the back of my mind I felt like the Lord wanted me to do this, and there were a lot of things that played into why I thought that, but uh, but I couldn't seem to quite get off of square one. And then one night I was sitting, I was supposed to be doing special music at 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 my church one one weekend. And uh, I was sitting, listening. I had gone through and I practiced. I was practicing with some music tracks that I had. And I picked out maybe like two songs so in case one didn't go, I could do another. And then so after I had practiced both songs and, and I was pretty much set, I was kind of by myself for a few minutes and, and, and I was going to get ready to go to bed. And I just started listening to some of the other tracks that I had on uh, my iPad. And I happened to have a track for a song by Steve Green called He Who Began a Good Work in You. And for whatever reason, I just decided just to listen to the thing. And, and as I was listening and singing along with it, it was as if the Lord stepped between me and the, and the iPad – 
and said, are you listening to what I'm saying to you? Really listened to the song, and then suddenly it hit me. He began a good work in me. And then the thought came to me. If you believe that God is true and that he is truth, then either what he's saying to you, that he began a good work in you, it's either true or it's a lie. And if it's true, then you have no reason to believe that he doesn't love you. And he has something that he is going to perfect in you by the time Jesus returns. Now, that might not make a lot of sense to a lot of people just on the face of it because they're going like, yeah, right. I mean, you know, hey, everybody knows that. But at that time in my life, even though I was working and serving the Lord and um, very active and very passionate about ministry and so forth, I, I, I had come to the conclusion that for some reason I believed that God really didn't love me. I understood about his love, and I could explain his love to other people, but it just didn't seem to apply to me. And so I, many days in my life, I wanted just to die. I didn't want to live anymore. And I had come to this point where, I mean, when I woke up in the morning, I was almost disappointed because that meant I had to keep facing life with me. I didn't like myself, and I was projecting onto God the fact that I didn't like myself. I knew he couldn't like me either. And so for this song, when it came up to me, it pointed out something to me, and God speaks to us in different ways. In other words, that song may have meant nothing to someone else, but at that moment in my life, God spoke to me in words that cannot be uttered. Even trying to explain it now can't really get to the depth of what he was speaking to me about. But he was trying to share with me that the thoughts that I had about him were just dead wrong. And that he was going to show me in the days ahead how much I had used the wrong measuring rod to measure his love. And it just went from there. And, and there were a lot of things that had happened even before that moment that the Lord had used to try and bring me to the point. And that's what the book is about, how the Lord used a whole lot of things in my experience in the good work that he was doing for me, in me, and many times through me. And I wasn't really appreciating it until he started bringing it into focus. So a lot of times what happens is it's just like, you know, how you, you can take the, uh, a magnifying glass and let the sun shine through it, and then it burns a piece of paper. God used that verse from Philippians 1.6 to uh, focus his love and his power and his wisdom in my life and ignited a flame in me which has saved me. And I'm grateful because there are many people out here who are in the churches. They're working hard for the Lord. They really don't believe he loves them, and they don't know exactly what to do. It's like you're on this train, and you can't get off. And because you are involved in the church, and you're an active person in the church, and you're a dedicated person in your church, you can't even really ask for help because you're the help. <laughs> and you are struggling with your own spiritual life and your struggle with all kinds of things in your life, and yet you feel very much alone and very much abandoned when in reality the problem is is that you have in your life things that are creating a distance between you and God. 
and you feel abandoned as if he left you, but in reality, you're the one who's been walking on him. So that's basically the, 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 the thrust of, of some of the things that I'm dealing with. Wow. That was a mouthful. Uh, you know, that, that's deep, you know. Uh, you know, yes, yeah, deep. I would like to ask Michelle, does she have any comments right now? Because I'm going to save mine for later. I got questions. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kai. Uh, but, you know, I was, I was really, and forgive me if you actually uh, made the statement while you were talking, but I didn't hear it. Um, but I uh, looked at a, a area in your book where you said I knew God had to feel about me what I felt hate, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that that thing, it hit me so strong. I was like, oh, <laughs> because you know you don't you don't want you don't want to walk around feeling like oh I you know I hate myself. Yeah, but can you just talk about that a little more because I, I, I don't think it's necessarily like some deep hatred, but what you really mean by that statement, because it really hit me, struck me. Well, you know, honestly, to tell you the truth, you see, and I guess the thing is what, and I guess one of the reasons why I really felt compelled to, to, to write this is because we tend to look at everybody in a very simplistic way. You know, a person is whatever it is we see. And we really don't know what's going on and the warfare that's going on inside of people's lives. People who seem like they do everything is going well for them. We don't really know what's going on in their lives. Um, if you ever noticed that some of the most successful people outside of, you know, Christianity or whatever, but the most successful, some of the most successful people wind up killing themselves. Mm-hmm. Because nobody knows the mm-hmm. inner turmoil that they're going through. That you know, people are coming to these people and they're saying, "Oh, I wish I had what you have. I wish I was as talented as you. You're the funniest guy in the world. You're the best comedian, the most beautiful actress, the most this, that, and the other." And these people's lives are eaten up with all kinds mm-hmm. of feelings of inadequacy and self hatred and 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 and. Every day they wake up, the only way they can function is they have to drug themselves to the point where they can't or drink themselves to the point where they don't think about how wretched they feel inside. And the more praise they get, the more they begin to think if they only knew, if they only knew, I'm nowhere near what they think. It's all an act. It's all it's all. And they don't believe that they're as good as the rest of the people think. And then everyone is shocked. When these people wind up taking their lives because they say, like, oh, they had so much going for them. Well, you know, you can have a whole lot going for you. And I, I'll have to admit that I had, I had a pretty good amount of stuff going for me. Uh, I didn't hate myself because I was doing so bad. I mm-hmm. hated myself because I was – I couldn't find – the peace I needed in my life because I was living and I, in the book, I talk about the fact that I was living with uh, it was, it's like two, two browser tabs open at the same time. I had a good tab running and a bad tab running. And what most people saw was only the good tab and the good tab was real. The good tab was real. Um, I was dedicated to ministry. I served as much as I possibly could, preach, sing, this, that, and the other, graphic design stuff for churches, trying to make sure that we did whatever, you know, I did whatever I could to serve God. But at the end of the day, I somehow felt that no matter what I did, it was a failure, that it was never good enough, that I I just never felt like I was uh, – up to the challenge, and I always felt like I was running one step ahead of failure, and that I always felt like sooner or later somebody's going to see that I'm not what people think I am, and mm. I'm, 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 it's just going to blow up on me. And 
the that lack of peace and that constant running from myself and running from from the possibility of failure or embarrassment or whatever was something that not many people would even know happened, but it was filling my life with anger and resentment. And I had a hair triggered temper that most people didn't see, but if people got too close and it looked like I felt like I was being, uh, somebody was digging to try and, and, and get at my failure. Uh, mm. I went off. Boom. And every time I did that, I felt like dirt. And I couldn't seem to get the handle on it. And I'm blowing up at my family. I'm blowing up at all kinds of people. And every time I did that, I felt more and more and more like, Lord, why don't you just take me out? I'm messing up. And it's just not getting any better. And I... I woke up each day wishing that I had not. And it was a, it was a rough situation for me. Uh, it was a rough situation for me. And I've discovered that, you know, I tried everything. I was trying all these self-help books and emotional intelligence and, and, you know, positive self-talk book and all these other different things, you know, and I've got a whole rack of these things. I'm sitting right in front of a whole rack of all these different books and things that I had to try and fix me. But what I was fixing, what I was trying to fix was symptoms. I was trying to, in other words, you, you, you can't solve an anger problem by trying not to be angry. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? And that's what I was trying to do. But what I had to find out, the only way you can solve that kind of problem is you have to find out why are you angry? What are you angry about, and who are you angry with? And the Lord blessed me that I was able to get some counseling and uh, an, an excellent Christian counselor right up there in Maryland. Um, and she helped me get to why I was angry. And I, I talk about that in, uh, in the book, in uh, um, I think in chapter three, I think. Uh, well, chapter two, as, as God's knockout punch. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm and, and chapter three as well. God, God took me through a situation where he let me get to the point where finally I decided to submit to some counseling. Cause up to that point, I, I felt like, look, the last thing I need right now, as bad as I, I, my situation is, the last thing I need is to discover I'm mentally ill. Okay, so <laughs> you know, on top of everything else, it's like, yeah, you. The reason I know why you're crazy. <laughs> you're crazy. You know I mean? Wow. <laughs> this reminds me of an old joke with Rodney Rodney Dangerfield said. He said he went to his doctor, and his and his doctor said, Rodney, I'm gonna tell you right now, you're crazy. You are just absolutely crazy. So Rodney Dangerfield goes, oh, yeah? Well, I want a second opinion. And the doctor said, okay, well, you're ugly, too. I felt like I'm, I don't, I'm not going to become the next Rodney Dangerfield here. You know? <laughs> so I said, you know, okay. But, you know, a situation happened where I was uh, uh, visiting, uh, visiting my son's house back uh, a few years back. And um, on the way up there, uh, you know, we, my, my wife and I, we're reading this book, Emotional Intelligence, and so forth and so on. And, uh, you know, I saw all these things that they were saying. And the funny thing about self-help books is, you know, they give you all these steps and all these ideas. And it's like the, the, at the point at which you, you're supposed to implement all these great ideas and stuff, you you probably have already messed up. So, you know, I mean, it's just like, you know, it's hard to kind of, it's hard to kind of, it, I mean, it's, it's like, it's like the way I used to play tennis all the time. I mean, it's like, I was totally defensive tennis player, had no shots, you know, spent most of my time running back and forth along the baseline and people hitting all kinds of shots. And then if they got me far enough away, they'd come up and hit a dink shot. And then I I'd almost dive into the net and I'd miss 
and and that's the way Satan likes to play us. And I we we get around chasing symptoms and chasing symptoms and chasing symptoms, and we think we got it fixed, and then it lasts for a little bit, and then something goes wrong. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what happened in this visit with my son, and I wound up blowing up on him, and then eventually we became totally estranged. And mm-hmm. um, next thing I know, you know, my wife and I are spending the night in our car in a friend's driveway because it was so late. Uh, and, you know, and I, yeah. I, I finally came to the point where I realized I can't keep doing this. And then my wife said to me, the faithful words, you need counseling. I mm-hmm. said, this time, you're right. You're right. Because I'm, I'm messed mm-hmm. up. And I went through about a year of counseling with this wonderful lady. Um, and we, I couldn't do it in person because I was in here in North Carolina. She was in, uh, in Maryland. And, uh, but we were able to do... Uh, we were able to do FaceTime, and uh, that worked out really well. My insurance wouldn't cover it because it was FaceTime, but it was an investment. We decided it was worth worth it, and so we did it. And uh, it made the difference because I discovered what the things were in my childhood and relationships that I had through my life that had caused me to think the way I did. Once I, and I'll just make this brief, once I came to the conclusion as to why I was on that path and why I felt the way I felt, then God was able to deal with the other issues in my life to help me to not only heal emotionally, but to heal spiritually. And that Mm -hmm. made all the difference. Amen to that, and I think I think that is a huge thing. I don't want anybody to you know get me, but you know, African American people, they you know some really have an issue with counseling. You know, oh, yeah. the first thing they jump on is, well, well I'm not crazy, but it's, yeah. <laughs> but it's not about. You know, being crazy, you know, sometimes we have situations and things that happen in our youth, and that's actually um, something that you talk about, too, in your book. I'm not sure which page it is, but it's talking about, like, the trauma and functional, dysfunctional things that's happened in our life, all of that stuff. We all had that. We all have these experiences in the sum total of, of all of these things, and it could be along yeah. with, with us learning the word of God and, and you know, our family, you know, could have been great, but it could have been other things going on. You know, all of this together yeah. uh, makes us the people who we are, and sometimes I mean, we cannot deal with it. Yeah, because you think of the number of people, young ladies and young men, who have gone through sexual abuse or other things in their childhoods, and they have swallowed right. it. They can't talk right. to anybody about it. And yet, even though you think, well, nobody, nobody knows this, it may not come out in, in, in public, but it does come out in, in how those people conduct themselves. You know, and you think yeah. about it, like in my case, the examples that I put in the book were ones that I felt like, Okay, these are these may seem trivial to some people, but the point of the examples that I gave from my childhood was that those little types of things cause a child to make decisions. People don't understand that children aren't just like some kind of uh, a, a sock puppet that, that just doesn't have any thoughts until they become an adult. Kids make mm-hmm. lifetime decisions because of mm-hmm. the little events in their little lives. But those, de- those decisions color everything that they do for the future. For example, let me give you an example that actually absolutely isn't in the book, but it's something that, that, that it may not be big, but it just shows you how, how a kid makes a decision for the rest of his life and may not even realize that's why, but until later. When I was a kid, I was about four years old, 
I, I went outside one time and I was wearing a pair of sandals. And um, somehow I stubbed my toe or did something wearing those sandals. And I looked down at my foot and I saw that there was blood around my big toe, around the toenail. And at that moment, when I saw that, I made a decision. I will never wear sandals again. (laughs) And I am now 65 years old. I have not had a pair of sandals since I was four years old. Wow. And it's not like I go in the store and suddenly have flashbacks of <laughs> blood on my toe and then I start screaming every time I see, you know, oh my God, this is a pair of sandals that get me. No, it's not like that. It's just that the thought, the thought of buying a pair of sandals is the farthest thing from my mind. I don't even have any interest in them. You know, I mean, and, and it's that kind of thing. It's like, and so you think of the number of little decisions that a child might make based on some incident in their lives that everybody thought was no big deal or that people mm-hmm. didn't even know about. Mm. And yet this kid has got a catalog of things that you make that they made decisions about. I'll never do this. I'll never go to that kind of place. I'm never going to the movies because, I, you know, some, something I saw. Uh, I don't ever want to be in a dark room because of some experience I had. You know, and the person might be married, and their wife goes like, why are you sleeping with the light on? He's <laughs> just like, uh, uh, oh, I just, I just forgot about it. Well, let me turn it off. No, 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 no. I, I'm going to do some reading. And why? It's because why? the person had an experience. <laughs> they never want to be in the dark. But they can't tell you, I'm scared of the dark. Mm. And so the counselor gave me a chance to, in a sense, say, yeah, I'm scared of the dark and I don't know why. And then they say, let's go through it. When did you first start feeling this way? Or what happened in your life that made you, you think that you think made you feel this way? And that's where it came up. I started measuring my value by the things I got. And I came to Mm. the conclusion after seeing how things were kind of distributed in my family that I wasn't worth much. (laughs) Wow. And so thing after thing would happen in my life, and I would would swallow it. But it it wasn't wasn't digested. It was just sitting there. And it 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 was governing how I dealt with things and how I felt about myself and what I thought. So it's hard to see yourself, no matter how successful you are. It's hard to see yourself as successful if you think your family thinks you're not. Mm. Wow. You're hitting on some some really great areas, and, you know, it's not just you. It's not just you. So, yes, I'm so happy that you you wrote the book because it is people walking around in that exact same condition. That's that's you. That's me. That's Kai. You know that yeah. that's all of us have something. Different yeah. things. But I was reading some. Kai's book. You know, I was reading Kai's book, and I was saying, yeah. you know, it's funny how you can have such different life backgrounds, but mm-hmm. share a lot of common ground. I just got a, a an email message. Uh, from a friend that uh, that I used to work with years ago when I lived in Maryland, and um, at the time I was I was working at a radio station, and he was the uh, he was the uh, operations manager of that radio station at the time, and uh, we got to know each other. He was a little older than I am, and uh, but we got to know each other, and uh, we we we've been friends for years. And he just read the book, and he just said, man, he says, I didn't realize how much we had in common. And I think that's the key. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have been in prisons 
because they felt like the experiences that they have, they can't talk to anybody about it because maybe I'm the only person who's going through this. Mm. And you're not. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to I'm going to stop us there because we are uh we actually are past our midpoint. We were having such a good conversation, but we we are past our midpoint. So, okay. uh, we definitely want to let um anyone who wants to to call in, you can definitely call in at 845-277-9384. Um if you have a question for our guest, and uh, you can, you know, press the number one on your keyboard in order to be added to the queue. Um, and I'm going to let uh, Kai take it over so he can take us on into break. All right. That, that is excellent. You guys are awesome. I was just taking notes, and I'm just, you know, enjoying that conversation. Um, a couple of notes from my sponsors. Uh, Music Instructor for Learns Arts Academy, or MIFAL Arts Academy, is where the arts knows no bounds. If you love the arts like photography, dance, culinary arts, and and art classes, all online, then go to Mefile Arts Academy website, www.mefileaa.org, and check them out. Or call and talk to Dean Lavender to get more information at 833-643-2563. Uh, uh, we will now have a song, and I think this song is will be a great one because it just tells us that, if I'm correct, we fall down, but we get up. Mm-hmm. We fall down, but we get up. We fall down, but we get up. We fall down, but we get up. For a saint is just a sinner who fell down, but we couldn't stay there and got up. Say now, we fall down, but we get up. We fall down, we Get back up again. Yes, we are. But we can't stay there. Does it see the righteousness inside of you? Oh, we fall down. But we get back up again. We fall down sometimes. But we get back up again. Yes, we do we rise back up again for the Oh, 
about his love and about his plan for uh, them to not only enter the promised land, but to receive salvation from him. And I, I, I saw in this story my whole life. I saw the whole issue of what God was trying to do when he rescued his people from Israel, uh, from Egypt. You know, God had a plan from the beginning with Abraham long before the people of his people wound up going to Egypt during the famine. And, uh, and he had a plan that he revealed to Abraham 400 years before uh, he wound up rescuing them from Egypt. But he, he showed Abraham how he was going to deliver his people. And I saw that what had happened was that I was in my own Egypt. In other words, I was in a place in my life where I needed to be delivered, just like the people of Israel needed to be delivered from their bondage in Egypt. And one of the things that I discovered was that at the very beginning of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and even in Deuteronomy 5, God gives a preamble to the, to the Ten Commandments, just like we have a preamble to the Constitution of the United States. Um, there was a preamble to the Ten Commandments, and it's a very brief pre- preamble, but it's a very powerful one that a lot of times people skip over. And it's very important because it sets the context for the Ten Commandments. He says, basically, in, that, in, in, in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5, he says, basically, I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage or the house of slavery. And then he says, you shall have no other gods before me. And goes on through the commandments. And if you stop and think about it, you realize that what God was trying to say is this. And 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 if you go back to Deut- uh, to um, uh, Exodus 19, the ch- chapter before the Ten Commandments are stated, you will see how God explains in detail. Look, I brought you out of that bondage on eagles' wings. And brought you to myself to teach you and to give you these commandments so that it might go well with you when you enter into the promised land. And this is the whole deal right here. See, that's the thing. God had a plan that he, you know, Egypt was an 11-day journey on foot from Egypt to to Canaan. But God was not trying to just deliver them in a geographical sense. It only took 11 days geographically to get from Egypt to the promised land. But it took over 40 years for them to get to the promised land spiritually. And so what God was doing in my life was he had a plan that he was working through the years to deliver me from the bondage he knew I was going to find myself in. Mm. But mm. God, ha- God does not force our will. Mm. He works with us and woos us and guides us and drops breadcrumbs for us and does all kinds of things along the pathway, many times keeping us from doing certain things that would have destroyed us. Sometimes, yes, we make mistakes and mess up and do sin and all kinds of things, but God is constantly working his good work, trying to bring us to a point of knowing him, bringing us to a point of learning that he loves us, once we become convinced of his love for us personally, it changes everything. 
And that's what he did for me. I was in Egypt, and as I mentioned in the book, Egypt is, I said, said in, that, in that first page there, that Egypt is not a place on a map. Egypt is a place of spiritual government. It is everything that shaped your life apart from God. And so family situations, how you were brought up, the habits you formed, the places you went, the things that you did, the people you encountered, all the things that were perhaps in your life that were not leading you into a relationship with God. They were maybe separating you or giving you a false impression of him or leading you into a life that was driving you away from a wedge between you and him. That's Egypt. Mm. And see, those things then ultimately turn around and become chains and shackles on your life. Mm you suddenly realize that you do not have control. You think you were trying to be free to do whatever it is you wanted to do and to live your life without being bound by spiritual restrictions and church stuff. But in reality, what you were doing was you were binding yourself to Satan and putting yourself into a slavery to sin and to habits. And when you think you are ready to now get rid of these problems – you can't, because mm. they got you. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you you're right. That the freedom you thought you had was a bigger slavery than what you what what turns out that God was doing. And you know the interesting thing is, Paul makes a statement in Romans chapter six, which I don't think most people ever really spend much time reading, but Paul made a statement along this line: Don't you know? That whoever you yield yourselves to be a servant or a slave to, that thing becomes your master, and you become a slave to it, whether it's a slave to sin unto death or righteousness unto eternal life. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that you only have one or two choices, and both of them are some form of slavery. You're either going to be a slave to sin and death, or you're going to be a slave to righteousness and eternal life. And you have the choice. And if you choose to reject God's way, then you have chosen bondage to sin and death. And so really my desire right now is to become a bond slave to the Lord. To be totally responsive to his will. Amen. That is my desire. Amen. Wow. That, that's a that's a mouthful. And I like that, you know, because that's the way we all have to be go through. That's what we all have to do. We all need to be a slave unto God because um I have no words. That's the first. I mean, it's the ultimate freedom. It's the ultimate freedom. Because when you, when you, you are free to live in this boundless thing that God has created for us, this, this life of, of, of unfettered good, to be able to serve and to do and to and to experience all of the abundance that he has for us satan has convinced 90% of us that to be in christ is to be hopelessly bound by rules regulations and restrictions mm-hmm. and that you yeah. can't be happy and be in christ and that wow. is so wrong. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That is definitely wrong. Well, we are winding down to our last five minutes, and I knew it was going to get like this. So that is why, ladies and gentlemen, I took the privilege of asking our, our new author, you know, and I was one of the first ones to get his book. So, yeah, yeah. Um, of asking our new author, 
Um, as I was reading, I said, we will not be able to get through this through one, one sitting, or one, you know, one episode of Man in America. So um, Don Wood has, um, he has agreed to come once a month and we'll do a series on this because it's a great book. And I couldn't, you know, I couldn't even get out the questions I, I had highlighted, read, put stuff in red and black, you know, all in the first chapter. But um, we're going to get I promise I won't get... talk as much next day. <laughs> oh, that, that, that's fine. That's fine. Because, I know. You know, that was good. That was good. That was good. That was good because one thing, our, our, character, our catchphrase for this show is real people, real stories, real overcomers. Because, you know, everybody goes through and everybody has to have a chance to overcome. I remember um, one thing that one of our... Um, uh, deaconess in our church says it says you are not excuse me you are not the vain existence of what you're going through mm-hmm. and she said and this too will come to pass you're not the vain mm-hmm. existence of what you're going through and this too will come to pass and you have dug deep um, with everything in each chapter so you will be invited back same time. Well, I, I you know, I'm myself saying bat, bat channel, saying bat time. Next <laughs> month, we will definitely That's have you on again because we uh, we want to make sure other people get a chance to get the book. Other people, they may have real questions and real and real questions because you like you said, you read my book, I read your. Every you, someone said he went through a, a similar thing. Everybody, we don't. Mm-hmm. We think we're the only ones going through. I like how you yeah. mentioned in the beginning of a lot of the stars and artists who have committed suicide. And, you know, they, if we had the money they had, we're like, why would we? Yeah. That wouldn't be something we're going through. But, yeah. you know, we will have you back. Give us um, I appreciate your, you know, tell us how we can end the show and make sure people have this information. Give us your contact information if anybody wants to contact you. Yeah, um, if anybody wants to contact me, they can they can contact me at uh, don at woodcom w o o d c o m m dot com, and uh, I'll get it by email or uh, and that that's probably going to be the the most efficient way. Or if they if they want to text me, they can. They can text me at uh, 301-385-3971. And uh, those, those things, they can, uh, that's if they want to text me or if they want to email me. Uh, and like I said, they can, you, I think you said, you, you know, you, they can go to my website if they want to see some of the, uh, uh, the work that I do at, uh, at woodcom.com. Amen. We appreciate you, Don. And Michelle, you have any closing remarks? <laughs> I would just like to read something because it was it's kind of shocking, but, you know, maybe it'll uh, shock our audience into coming back for more. <laughs> uh, Uh-oh. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a line. I like it because it's very straight. It's very direct. It's a, it's a line in the um, in the book. And it says, the word slavery, slavery is when we are convinced that we are the masters of what controls us. At that point, mm. we have become self-confident fools, and God mm. can't liberate us. Yeah. I like it. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. I, just want, I just want people to consider that because we never want to be that. Yeah. And so, you know, come back, listen in. Um, to get some more of the great wisdom from Don. Don Don is funny. Don is hilarious, but he is wise. And and so I I really have enjoyed what I've read of the book. And so uh we invite ourselves to come back. I thank you, Don. Thank you because this is this is really great, a really great conversation. Then I thank you guys for this service that you're doing and uh you know, it's it's a it's a wonderful thing. So thank you so much for for having me, and I I will look forward to uh, our next time. 
Amen. Amen. Uh, we appreciate you. I'd like to thank all of you who have been listening to us and sharing Man of the Mirror with our author extraordinaire, Don Wood. <laughs> well, you know what that means. That, you know what we always say, Don is now part of the Man in the Mirror family. And you know why? Because he's hey. going to be on here month after month after month until you get tired of all of us, but that's okay. <laughs> if you have any more questions, his information will be in our event page. And again, this is Nichelle and Kai. And as always, we'll see you at the mirror. <laughs>